We're um, pausing our sermon series in John's Gospel to spend three weeks, next three Sundays, thinking about human sexuality. So today, we're going to be looking at the culture's view uh, when it comes to sexuality, particularly in light of the sexual revolution and how bad and damaging it has been for us individually and as a nation. Then next week, we're going to look at God's view on sexuality from the Bible and why it is such good news for us. And then on the third Sunday, the third week, the final week, we'll think about, okay, well, how does, what does this look like in practice as we are living it all out today in 21st century uh, London? And I want to say that these three talks very much go together as one whole series. Okay, so today we're, just, we're looking culture. You might be thinking, where's the Bible exposition on this? That's coming next week, but please do hold all three of these talks together. Now, why are we interrupting our sermon series in John's Gospel to spend three weeks thinking about human sexuality? Three reasons. First of all, because of the sheer importance of this topic today. It's one of the most, arguably one of the most pressing issues today. There is so much confusion um, in the church, uh, Church of England, other church, outside the church, as in what is human sexuality ultimately for? What are our sexual desires and experiences uh, for? And it's vital that we're absolutely clear uh, on it. There are um, very strong cultural voices, and I'm sure you are hearing it, it's all around us in media, on the adversity, that sex is the be-all and end-all of human life and experience and flourishing. And so if you are not having sex, not having lots of it, it's really great and all the rest of it, well, then you must be missing out. You are not living life to the full. There must be something wrong with you. And those voices, that puts an incredible pressure on any of you here who are single or celibate or widowed or divorced. Is that really true? Is that what the Bible teaches? There are many people today who are hearing very strong cultural voices that say that your sexuality defines you and you need to work out exactly what it is. And hey, here are 47 different sexualities. And am I gay? Am I bi? Am I straight? Am I queer? Am I trapped? What is it? I don't, who am I? Young people growing up today through their teenage years and one's desires at that age are coming all over the place. I'm being told that my sexuality defines me, that if I want to be true to myself, I better be clear, and there's so much insecurity. Is this what the Bible teaches? This is what this series is about. I want us to see how do these cultural voices that are very strong, that are coming out from all different directions, how do they match up to God's voice in Scripture? Second reason why we're particularly stopping our, our John series right now is that later on this month, there is um, the General Synod meeting in the end of November. General Synod is the Church of England governing body, and they're going to be making decisions around what are called prayers of love and faith uh, to bless uh, same-sex couples. And so by the end of this series, I want us to be absolutely clear what God has revealed to us for our good in his word when it comes to the full picture of human sexuality. So you can see how serious this move potentially is in the wider Church of England of which we are a part of. Not just moving from the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of the church over thousands of years, but potentially very partially damaging as well to people. And that brings me on to like the third reason for doing this, this series, and probably the one that's sort of most personal to me. I just want each and every one of us here who are members of the church family here, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are widowed or divorced or house experienced same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, that you know that God's story, God's overall story for human sexuality is the most beautiful, most wonderful message and story there is. 
And I want you to be sure of that and to live in light of it and to not be embarrassed by the Bible's teaching on sex and relationships. Far from it, to be emboldened, to be equipped, to speak and live a far better story than what the current generation out there is hearing and experiencing. So that's what this series is about. That's where we're going. Now, I'm conscious that this is a sensitive topic. This is a delicate topic. This affects all of us. We all have sexual desires. So right up front, I want to say that wherever you are coming from, in, it, in terms of your sexuality, as you come here this evening, you're completely welcome. There is no judgment from me at all. Um, I really want us to walk together over these next three weeks. I want us to discuss this after the sermon in our Inspire groups. I want us to be praying together. I want us to be searching the scriptures together. I want us to be supporting one another. We're going to have a link up, just um, a Slido link. Um, you'll see it come up here. If you just put S-L-I-D-O into your phone, uh, event code sexuality, write any question you have as it's coming up. This week, next week, uh, any concerns that you have, I will bear it in mind as we're going through the next two weeks. Is the Slido thing up? Can you put that up on the screen? Great, there it is. Now, as I said at the start, we're going to do something a little bit different in this first talk. Regulars here will know we normally open up a Bible passage, we go through it, we expound it, we then apply it to our lives individually and to our city and, and nation. What we're going to do today, and we're going to do now, is we're actually going to start with the world around us, culture around us, culture that we are living in and experiencing, seeing how that, that's playing out, particularly in the light of the sexual revolution over the last 60 years, and then, at the end, give a sort of biblical rationale and response to it. Okay, so we're moving things a little bit around the other way. And um, the reason I'm uh, doing that, it's actually an idea I got from this book called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution by Louise Perry. I don't know if any of you have um, read this. Louise Perry is not a Christian, and as the title suggests, she's arguing against the sexual revolution. And um, she's actually a feminist, and most of you will know that the feminist movement was quite influential in the kicking off of the sexual revolution back in the 1960s. But she is now saying, as we see how it has played out over time, um, for all the good things that did come out of the sexual revolution, particularly uh, for women in terms of gender equality, access to birth control, sex education, breaking down the stigma and shame around sex and relationships, she is arguing that as we look around us today and where it has all led, it has been incredibly damaging for women overall. I, f I think it's an extraordinary book. I do recommend you, you reading it if you're interested. I should say some of the language in there you might find offensive, and some of the stories that she tells, real life stories are incredibly harrowing, particularly when she exposes the very dark sides of the sexual um, revolution. But anyway, listen to her conclusion towards the end of the book. We need to re-erect the social guardrails that have been torn down over these past 60 years. And in order to do that, we have to start by stating the obvious. Sex must be taken seriously. Men and women are different. Consent is not enough. Violence is not love. Loveless sex is not empowering. People are not products. Marriage is good. Okay, you heard that rightly. Here is a secular feminist looking now, 60 years later, what's come of the sexual revolution, and she's arguing for the institution of marriage and sexual insight within marriage. So I hope you're encouraged by that, just at this level, when often we're told we're crazy as Christians to be holding on to the Christian sexual ethic. 
Secular feminists are now arguing, should we go back to that? So let's take a leaf out of Louise Perry's book. Let's look at the culture around us, let's see where the whole sexual revolution has led us, with all its promises, right, of freedom, of equality, of human flourishing, and who doesn't want that? But what if actually it has failed on those promises, and the damage it's done is way worse than perhaps we imagined? Not just for women, um, but for men too. Now, of course, I don't have time to do a thorough analysis of all the aspects of the sexual revolution, but here are some headlines which I think are really important for us to be aware of today. Three main headlines. First, the sexual revolution promised more sex and more fulfilling relationships if only we could break free from the shackles of religious tradition, especially Christianity, so we could basically have sex with whoever we want, whenever we want, however we want. But 60 years later, the research tells us that the opposite is in fact the case. That Gen Z, millennials, are having less sex and less satisfying sex than their parents or grandparents. Earlier this year, Love Honey, the online retailer, surveyed 1,000 people in the UK about their sex lives, with only 17% of 18 to 34-year-olds saying they were satisfied. A few years ago, the Oxford statistician, David Spiegelhalter, noticed a dramatic decline in the frequency of people having sex. And so pronounced was this rate of decline, he joked that if it continued on its downward trajectory in the current pace, the average person in this country would be having no sex at all by 2040. Which, of course, he doesn't think is actually happening. But it's left him and other sociologists scratching their head and puzzling, why is this the case? After the second, setting free of all the boundaries and sexual booze, and let's go for it, let's all ha- why is there less sex going on? Well, could it be that deep down we know that there is no such thing as just sex? That sex is never just like a meaningless act of fun or like some other sort of physical recreational activity, but actually there's something profoundly special and meaningful sacred even, about sex. I think one of the tragedies, you know, for many people, as we look out today, and in our lives as well, is that most of us are finding out the hard way. I was chatting to someone just the other day, just saying, I'm not sure if they talk about themselves or a friend, but having lots of sex in their 20s, I thought, you know, hookup culture, that's what it's about. But now in the 30s, in the early 40s, feeling very hollow inside. Secondly, the sexual revolution promised freedom from the stigma and shame often associated with supposedly restrictive and repressive narrowness of Christian sexuality. So if it's between two consenting adults, what's wrong with that? And if it doesn't harm anyone else, what's it got to do with you? And isn't it just unhealthy for us to like repress you know, our sexual desires and urges and and needs. Come on. But again, where has that led when there's no limits, when there's no constraints to our sexual desires? Where does that ultimately lead to if it's just left to go and go and go and here we are 60 years later? Well, probably best if I don't mention everything that's going on in people's bedrooms around the country today. I mean, you know a lot of it when you see it on the billboards and advertisements on the tube and the rest of it. According to a survey in 2020, across a wide range of 
Western European countries, the average man now spends more time looking at pornography than he does showering. Much has been written about pornography's derogatory effect. One study found 97% of physically aggressive acts in pornography were directed towards women. Other studies have found that the more pornography a person uses, the more difficult it is for them to enjoy a real sexual encounter, the more it enforces unrealistic expectations on their spouse or partner, the more people become objects in your imagination, and the more the feelings of guilt and self-concealment surface. Hey, we're meant to be breaking free from the stigma and shame of Christianity. There's a whole lot more guilt coming instead. For both male and female porn consumers, it's often accompanied by problems with anxiety, body image issues, poor self-image, relationship problems, insecurity, and depression. So how healthy has this sexual revolution been for us? I'm hesitant to share this next statistic, but I just feel like you all need to know. Well, maybe you're more aware than I realize, but anyway, this is more about me. Um, according to research conducted by Comrades in 2019, over half of 18 to 24-year-old UK women reported being strangled by their partners during sex. Over half. And if we are in any doubt as to how dangerous this is, because it's now becoming mainstream and there are those who are mutually consenting to this, Dr. Helen Bitchard in a neuropsychological rehabilitation study details the range of injuries that occur within seconds of strangulation, which are not visible to the naked eye and may only become evident hours or days later. In July 2020, Men's Health magazine, just a standard health magazine, ran a feature entitled Breath Pay is a popular form of BDSM. Here's how to do it safely. And Helen Branchard is saying that is a lie. That is an urban myth. It is absolutely not true. It is never safe. And yet this is the culture of sexual violence that people are now growing up in, expected to consent to, and even after the Me Too movement of 2017. Thirdly, the sexual revolution promised the liberation of sex from marriage and the liberation of sex from procreation, having children. And as a path to individual empowerment and human flourishing. Again, where has this led us to? The belief that having sex is a key part of human flourishing has led to some appalling material now being used in primary schools, exposing young children to inappropriate sexually explicit images and ideas. The detachment of sex from procreation has led to a catastrophic decline in fertility and childbirth in this country, where the rate is now at the lowest as it had ever been. 1.53 births per, per woman. Population in this country will half within two generations. The contraceptive pill, which facilitated this detachment of sex from procreation, has actually led to an exponential increase in unwanted pregnancies, partly because the pill even appropriately uh, used is 91% effective, not 100%. And this has in turn led to the abortion rate in this country now being at an all-time high. Do you know how many abortions take place in this country every hour? 28. And 10 million since the decriminalization of abortion back in 1967. 80% of all family breakdown now occur, occurs against, sorry, occurs amongst cohabiting non-married couples. 
Almost half of all children born today in the UK will not be living with both natural parents by their 14th birthday. And according to the Office of National Statistics, more and more people are living alone in the UK than ever before. Now look, that's just coming at you quick and fast, these stats. These are not cold, hard statistics. I know that for most of us here, these are deeply personal, deeply painful realities that we are dealing and living with. And these are just three headlines. You know, there are many, many more. But even just with these three, I think we can see why secular feminists are saying, like, what has gone on? This is really bad for women, for men. We need something different. Oh my goodness, you know, let's go back to what marriage and sex within marriage was about. So how do we respond to all this? As Christians here in the church, how should we respond? Here are three suggestions, not exhaustive, I'm sure there are many more. Here are three. First of all, we can lament. That is what I have found myself doing reading this book, researching this talk, and just seeing and experiencing for myself the pain, the heartache, the damage that is caused in the current sexual climate. To lament is to uh, cry out to God in prayer. To lament is to process our grief with him, knowing that he hears us, understands us, empathizes with us, ministers to us, and can help us. So draw near to him to lament. We can lament the disenchantment of sex in this nation. We can lament the loss of the sacredness of sex as a precious gift from God to be enjoyed in a faithful, committed, lifelong relationship of marriage. We can lament all the damage that has flowed from the sexual revolution. We can lament all the harm that we have experienced from it, and especially the harm which has been done to us. We can lament the separation of sex from marriage, the separation of sex from the potentiality of procreation, the hookup culture which dehumanizes us, enslaves us to our own desires, and leads us to feelings of guilt and shame. We can lament the pushing of boundaries over the past 60 years away from God's good design for sex and marriage. The English writer and philosopher G.K. Trestenton, he once said, in freeing ourselves from Christianity, we have only freed ourselves from freedom. Do you get that, what he's saying? In freeing ourselves from Christianity, we've only freed ourselves from freedom. That is exactly what the sexual revolution has done. In freeing ourselves from the Christian sexual ethic, we've only freed ourselves from true sexual freedom as God intended. All in the name of freedom, absolutely tragic. Let's lament. God is here, he hears us. Second way we can respond to this is we can repent and trust afresh in Jesus Christ and the good news about him. We can repent of all the ways we have believed the promises of the sexual relation or got caught up in the lies ourselves. And the good news of the gospel is that no matter the shame we might be carrying today, Jesus Christ promises to wash us completely clean it is such, he is such good news. Listen to just this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 6, this is verse 9 and 11. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, the sexually immoral which we all are by nature will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Whatever the sexual sin or shame you might be carrying this afternoon, please know that as you come to Christ, you confess it to him. He washes you, sanctifies you, justifies you. Jesus Christ has paid for all our sin on the cross once for all. That includes all our sexual sin as well. And if you come to him and you confess him and that regrets you're holding things from the past, it is wiped completely clean. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you are completely pure in his eyes. All of your sin on Christ, all of his righteousness, clothing you, washed clean, forgiven. His spirit in you to live afresh for him. Come to him. Come back to him. Be set free. You're addicted to porn, let Christ set you free. Whatever you're holding on to, give it to him. For all of Louise, Louise Perry's excellent analysis of the problems of the sexual revolution, she cannot offer freedom from the stigma and shame that she says we are all carrying. But Jesus Christ can, and that's why he came to earth, to purify for himself a people that is his own. Do you know him? Yeah. You're pure now, because of all he's done for you. So let's repent and keep bringing it all to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Lament, repent. Thirdly, we can hold fast. Hold fast to the goodness of God's word, particularly in this area of human sexuality. We're not crazy to believe this. And especially so in the light of analyzing the alternative. You know, all this pain and heartache and damage of the sexual revolution, let it be a massive red flag to you. Let it be a massive warning sign to you that this is where it's going, these promises. Hey, we've got a new way of doing life and flourishing with sex and relationship. No, it is not a good one. It has been a disastrous one. And we know that not just empirically, as Louise Perry is observing. We know that biblically, because throughout history and throughout the Bible story, whenever God's people, whenever a nation turns against God's, God, it turns against God's good design in any area of life, but particularly in sexuality, it does not work out for people. Chaos and destruction often ensue. There is pain, there is heartache, there's relational damage, there's societal breakdown. This is nothing new. God's word has shown itself to be faithful over thousands and God has shown himself to be faithful in what he says. So let's hold fast. Let's hold fast to Genesis 1, our, you know, our first reading, that marriage really is a gift of God in creation and that sex is sacred and special and meaningful and designed by God for marriage. Let's hold fast to the teaching, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19, our second reading, of the sexed difference within marriage, male and female, he made them. And the gift of children you know, within the stable, faithful community of marriage. Let's hold fast to it. And look, let's hold fast to the Bible's overall story of human sexuality, which we're going to look at in detail uh, next week, which says that sex is not the be-all and end-all. Sexual intimacy, that, that's not the be-all and end-all of human existence is divine intimacy. 
It is relationship with God. And that is something we can enjoy whether we are single or married, through faith in Jesus Christ now, and one day we will all enjoy in the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. So in conclusion, in light of the failed promises of the sexual revolution, how damaging it's been, let's lament all the pain, hurt, damage, destruction caused by it. Let's repent of all the ways we have either unknowingly or deliberately gone along with it, caught up in it. But ultimately, let's hold fast to the goodness of God's word around human sexuality. And we'll look at more of that in detail next week. So let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you very much for the goodness of your word and how we can view empirically, as Louise Perry is doing, others are doing, of where the sexual revolution has led to as people push the boundaries against your good design for human sexuality. And we want to respond appropriately as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to lament where that has happened. We want to lament uh, the pain that has been caused in our own lives, in the nation. We want to repent of the ways we have got caught up in it and come afresh to Jesus and know your forgiveness and washing and cleansing and the power of your spirit to live differently. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to hold fast, which is going to be hard to do amidst these very strong cultural voices around us. But let us hold fast to what you say about human sexuality and continue to teach us as we continue this series over the next couple of weeks. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.